Hey, good morning, Resonate. How you doing today? Good, good, okay. I wanna welcome Hayward. We got the whole Hayward campus joining. Give a round of applause for Hayward. Glad you're here. And, uh, and we are, we're continuing this refraction series talking about light that would come into a prism and then be broken in a more beautiful way as it spreads out. And uh, we've been talking about different attributes, different virtues, and today we're talking about humility. And I'm sure that God planned out that I would be teaching on humility because he was like, Scott, you have to hear this again and again. He wanted me to study it all week long. He needed me to think about, because I, I, I am so prideful, so prideful. And I had the joy of looking into the word of God and, and studying. And I, I can't wait to share with you the truths that are in his eternal word that I believe God wants to speak to each one of us. Um, the, the idea of humility, there's really so many different definitions when you think of pride and humility. There's, there's all these different contrasts. And, and, and what we're going to look at today is actually one specific sort of lane in the world of pride. We're going to be looking at the way we want to be viewed by other people. Our, our absorption with and our preoccupation with people's opinion of us and how people judge us and how much of our attention goes to that. It's, it's possible that uh, you would think that would make you really humble if you're always thinking about other people and what they think of you. But the opposite is true. The opposite is true. The more we're concerned with the opinions of others toward us, the more it makes us self-absorbed. The more it's self-focused. The more we base our value on how many likes we get or how many dislikes we get. It's, it's a, a kind of pride called vainglory. And Rebecca DeYoung, she wrote a marvelous book called Glittering Vices. And she devoted a whole chapter to the vice of vainglory. She's a professor at Calvin University and she interacts with her students. And she would, she would ask her students in college, can you name a celebrity? And guess what happens? They know dozens right off the top of their head. They'll, like, they'll be throwing them out. And then she'll say, can you name a personal hero in your life? And what do you think happens? They're like, hmm. And they'll just sit for a minute and think about it. And then when they start talking, they start naming people like grandparents or, or a youth pastor or a youth worker that took them to, to camp or something. They, they start thinking of people that invested in them and loved them that no one else knows about. Heroes, personal heroes that will never be on the cover of a magazine. The world will never know their name. And Rebecca DeYoung in her book, she says this, when we compare what celebrities are renowned for and what our personal heroes are admired for, we typically find a chasm between the two. People whose glory far outstrips the value of the goods for which they receive it, and people whose worth far outstrips the glory they will ever receive. Pondering that gap shines a spotlight on the vice of vainglory. And there's never been a time in human history when you could get more accolades for doing less than right now. Do you realize that? Never in human history. I looked it up. Uh, what is the most liked TikTok? Not just viewed. This has been viewed like hundreds of millions of times, but, but the most liked TikTok. And, and this is what it is in our culture. It's a young woman and it's about 20 seconds long and she bobs her head and she lip syncs some words. She turns her head sideways, rolls her eyes, 49 million likes, 49 million people said, that's amazing. They're like giving their approval of her. There's never been a time, like she's more famous than the Beatles for, for, for like 40, for 20 seconds of head bobbing. 
So what happens in our culture then if we become swayed by other people's opinions of us? We become fragile. We become someone, if someone gives us a thumbs up, our life is amazing. If someone gives us a thumbs down, our life is over. And we start to have this unstable zigzag life. We never realize our own worth, the true value of who we are. And it becomes a prison. We always need more people to think better of us. And it's relentless. It it forces us, it, it changes us to be glory. We can't be glory givers. A glory giver is someone who, who gives something away to build up someone else. It's like a mother's embrace. It's like a friend that forgives you even when you were wrong. It's a, a coach that believes in you. Those are glory givers. But our preoccupation with other people's opinion makes us into glory suckers. Where, where we're so empty, we need other people to approve of us in order to find value. We're constantly wanting self-absorption. So what then can fill us so that we could refract a kind of glory giving to others? That we could become people who help others see how valuable they are, how beloved they are. To give affirmations away of what is genuinely worth celebrating in other people. And the answer to this is in the Bible. Thank God. It's the passage for today. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And and this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in in Corinth. And apparently, uh, God wanted us to be talking about this a lot because a lot of the sermons have been about the church in Corinth and the letters to the churches in Corinth. Um, And we're going to see again today how this speaks to humility, true humility. 1 Corinthians chapter four, we'll read verses one through seven. And would you stand with me out of reverence for the word of the Lord? Chapter four, verse one, Paul writes, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as though you did not receive it? This is the word of the Lord for this morning and all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Go ahead. And uh, from this, we're going to look at three things. We're going to see our desire for greatness. We're going to see how far we fail. And we're going to learn how to have humble confidence. We'll start with the first. How how we desire greatness. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the church. And and he's encouraging them. He's correcting them. he's, He's challenging them. And if you were to study the New Testament, you would see Paul, he writes a bunch of letters to a bunch of different churches. And some of those churches, he writes all kinds of affirmations, how good they're doing. Uh, Others, he corrects them some and gives some affirmation. But it seems like when Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, 
He's telling them again and again all of these problems that they're facing. The, the church was really messed up. It sort of it reminds maybe we're okay then. Maybe if we're not that much different. He's, he's writing, here's some things that the church that he says. He's like, letters to the church in Corinth, just in chapter three. If you were to look just the chapter before, you'd see, he says, I can't even address you as spiritual people. I'm about to, I have to give you milk instead of solid food. And, and there's jealousy and strife and you're being deceived and you're going the way of the world and you have the wrong way of wisdom and foolishness and, and you're boasting about people and, and they have this argument going. And that's just chapter three. That's just chapter three. They have this argument going, they're boasting in people and some are saying, Paul is the best church leader. And others are saying, Apollos is the best church leader. And Paul says, stop it, stop it. And that's where we pick it up right here in chapter four, verse one. Paul says, it's not about who's the greatest. We're all servants. Chapter four, verse one, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Do you see what's happening here? Some people are hitting the like button for Paul and others are hitting the like button for Apollos, and, and Paul is not having any of it. So in verse six, Paul goes on. He explains why he's doing this. He says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what's written. Don't go beyond what's in the Bible, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. See, what they're doing is puffing each other up. They're becoming puffed up. What they're doing is leading away from humility and it's trapping them in vainglory and they're not even aware of it. And so this loving church leader, Paul, is writing them and correcting them for their benefit, for their good, to show them the way to humility. Are we guilty of any of this today? I don't know. Do we concern ourselves with what other people's opinions are so much that it leads us to be puffed up? Do we present our fake self in order to win approval from other people? In the words of radio talk show host and author Garrison Keillor, he says this, I lust after recognition. I'm desperate to win all the little merit badges and trinkets of my profession, and I'm of less real use in this world than any good cleaning lady. See, we have this insatiable desire to base our value on other people giving us little merit badges, little trinkets. It, it makes me think of my wife's kindergarten classroom. I love five-year-olds. I, I don't know how many of you have ever spent time with five-year-olds. There's something about five-year-olds because they are so sincere and earnest in their unashamed desire to win your approval, right? unashamed desire. They're just like right there. You can find them. And so there's something amazing with five-year-olds. I want to present to you a tool for, I mean, uh, for managing their behavior for five-year-olds. It's right here in my hand. This is, this is a gold sticker. And this is amazing because you can take this and you can sincerely help a five-year-old in kindergarten feel like they are worth a million dollars and it only costs you 10 cents. That's, that's all that, it, that's what's happening, right? And, and, and so these kindergartners, these little gold stickers that they're, they're gonna work so hard for and they, they wanna take this and they're, you know, they're gonna they're wear it all day long. They're working for it. They want it on their paper. The only problem is they don't last. Mrs. Taylor, my sticker fell off. And the truth is they all do. 
Pastor Will was telling me uh, of a freshman on the campus of the University of Michigan and Hayward, like give him a high five. Of course, Pastor Will's talking about the University of Michigan. That's all he talks about. (laughs) He was talking about a freshman on this big school campus and he was wearing his high school varsity football jacket trying to impress the starting lineup for the Big Ten school, like for the U of M starting quarter or football team, right? What do you think happened? He's walking around with his trinket on, with his merit badge. What do you think happened? They laughed him off the campus, right? They, they laughed him off the campus and bared him, shamed him. They sneered at him. They looked down at him. Why? Because he was trying to get value from a little trinket and they were like, that's just like a kindergartner's gold star, the only problem is those, those upperclassmen didn't realize they were wearing gold stars too. Their trinkets, they were saying, our trinket's better than your trinket. Our merit badge is better than your badge. What was happening? They'd become glory suckers and they were crushing him. Well, Scott, that's okay for naive little five-year-olds or maybe insecure college freshmen, but we've all moved far past that, right, church? We're, we're so far beyond that. No, well, I'm not working for a star sticker on my homework, but are we striving for things that are much different? And you could try and hide behind the idea, well, I'm working for my family, or I work for a great company, and I'm, I'm innovating and doing things for a worthy cause, but but what are the things that occupy your thoughts when you lay awake at night? What are the things that cause you anxiety and pressure? Uh, Is it really altruistic and noble things that are swirling around on your mind and your emotions? Or are little merit badges on your mind? Rebecca DeYoung, again, in her book, Glittering Vices, lists a few of them. What, What time and energy do you put into having the greenest lawn? The, the appearance of su- success at work, the, the nicest wardrobe, not chosen for comfort, but chosen for style that will impress. How many of us have ever embellished a resume or colored our hair to that of someone half our age or, or gone to a CrossFit workout and tried to lift enough weights of someone half your age? Okay. How many? How many? <laughs> um, How many millions of dollars are spent on cosmetic industries? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of brag do you make in front of your friends? It's all telling you something about yourself. It's telling you something. And please hear me. There's nothing wrong with accomplishment. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, win a wrestling competition. Get into that great school. Get a promotion at work. Buy your first home. Color your hair any beautiful color that you want. Work out at CrossFit. The problem is when we base our value on what people think of us while we're doing that. And you find in the end it's going to betray you. It won't fulfill you. In Luke 15, it tells the story of a prodigal son. He, go, he goes to his dad and he says, Dad, I... I wish you were dead and I had your money. Give me half of, my, uh, half of the money that you have so I can use it how I want. The, the son in Luke 15, he goes off and he squanders it. He takes half of the family's money and he spends it on prostitutes and it says riotous living. I think he's at the bar. He's like buying drinks for everybody. And everybody's like, oh, you're amazing. You see the vainglory? You're awesome. Until the money dries up. And then they all abandon him. And he finds himself more empty than before. This is the quest for vainglory. We're looking for something else. He was looking to those people to tell him how valuable he was. What ended up in the end is he was more empty than ever. And maybe you're feeling that now. Maybe maybe you're here today and you haven't achieved that thing yet. And you're striving for it and it's killing you. 
Or maybe you're here today and you have achieved what you were striving for and you found it doesn't fulfill. It doesn't satisfy. And these are all indicators showing us we're just like those kindergartners. We're doing everything we can to get some sticker and just like the kindergartners, those stickers won't last. So how far do we fail at this? This is, the, Paul talks about it in verse three. It's so beautiful. He says, uh, verse three, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Now, how is it that Paul can say he's not concerned with being judged by the church? And I love that he doesn't just leave it there. He turns it up. He's like, hey, I'm not concerned about being judged by any group of people in any human court anywhere on the planet. They can render any judgment they want on me, and I'm not concerned about it. How do you find that kind of freedom? It's because Paul has spent his entire life earning merit badges and trinkets. And he was really good at it. Really good. Another one of the letters that he wrote to a different church, the church in Philippi, he, he actually tells of his accomplishments in merit badge earning. Let me, let me read it for you. Verse, uh, Philippians 3, verse 4. If anyone thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay? He, this is Paul. He's about to throw down. That's what's happening. Paul's saying, if you think you earned something, let me tell you what I've done. You think you have a gold star, let me tell you mine. And this is in a culture where religious accomplishments, I mean, there's, there's no high-tech industry, right? There's, there's not, the, what's the most important thing in the, in the Judeo culture 2,000 years ago? It's like religion. And then of the most important thing in their culture, he's saying, not only did I do it, I went all the way. Like, I got it. And this is his list, verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as Dezeel, persecuting Christians. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, that's Paul's standards. In essence, he's like, my track record's perfect. He did everything right. He was so disciplined, so hardworking. Maybe like some of us. And on the count of being righteous, no one could be better. He's saying, I I am the most self-righteous guy ever. The only problem is, he wasn't humble. Right? Verse 7 Paul writes, he continues, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul's saying, I went all the way. I earned it. I trying to do the right thing, trying to be good, trying to get all of the religious accolades. I went as far as I could and I found out it's worthless. Whatever was my gain, I count as loss. That means what he thought was adding to him was actually taking away. He, he thought he was making him better and it was actually making him worse. He was trying to be a good person. He was becoming arrogant self-righteous, proud. Even someone who would oversee the hate and murder of Christians in a church that Jesus loves. So he says, whatever was to my gain, it was actually to my detriment. And he, he says, I consider all my good deeds as rubbish, garbage. What he worked so hard for is nothing. And that's why he doesn't care what a human court would think of him. 
right? Because he's already realized the value of human opinion is rubbish. And I love that he adds an exclamation mark. Verse three, look at what he says. In fact, I do not even judge myself, right? This is an exclamation mark. Is that a conceited statement? No, no. He's not saying, I'm so awesome that I don't have to keep score because I always win. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. I'm so bad that my best can never measure up. So I'm not even keeping track anymore. I'm trusting the grace of God. Oh, you see the freedom? So what does that mean? Paul's telling us we're not as big a deal as we think we are. That's what he's saying. We're concerned with how someone might judge us. We're concerned with how a a human court could weigh us in the balance and say, oh, you're lacking. And we try to find our value based on other people's opinions. And Paul's saying, you're not as big a deal as you think you are, Scott. He illustrates this in two places. The first is verse one. He writes, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Yeah. See, people are doing a popularity contest between Paul and Apollos. And and he says, that's not the right way to view us. The correct way for people to regard us, servants, servants. And and that word servant, it's a special word. It's not talking about someone who would clean your house or someone who would do your landscaping. That's not what it's talking about. It's a special word. And it had the connotation of talking about the slaves in the bottom of a boat who were rowing at the oars under the deck, no one would see. That's what Paul's talking about. Paul's saying the right way to regard us is not as superstar leaders. No, we're actually the unknown people whose lives belong to someone else. We're, we're servants that no one will ever recognize and we're rowing under the deck of the, of the ship. And it doesn't make any sense that you would evaluate which of us is better because it's not about us at all. This is Jesus' ship, and he's asked us to serve. And we all like to claim that, right? I like it. I'm like, yes, I am a servant. Yes, you're right. How happy we are to be called servants, right? Until someone treats us like a servant. Yeah. Then your heart leaks out. You see, you love it. I, I love it if you think of me as humble. Yeah. But that's just feeding vain glory, right? Oh, Pastor Scott, you're so humble. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Pastor Scott, could you take out the trash? What? Don't you know what? what? Right? How's that working for you at home or at work? Right? Do you see it leaks out? What's, what's happening there? I'm fine if you say I'm a servant as long as you don't treat me like a servant. But do you see the chasm in our hearts? We want to appear better than we are. And the reason you're striving for the opinions of others is you don't realize your true identity is one of a servant. That's that's who you are. And once Paul comes to the realization, he says, I actually am a servant. And I'm serving one that's better than anyone else I could ever find. There's no one like him. And just to be a servant of Jesus is all the recognition that I could ever need. And then the stickers fade away. They just fade away. Secondly, Paul shows us we're not as big a deal as we think we are in verse seven. He writes this. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you did not receive it? 
And he's asking, how can you take credit for being awesome when you didn't bring anything to the table in the first place, right? You didn't have anything except what you received. How are you taking credit for that? I I mean, maybe you're really smart. And and I believe here today at Resonate, there's some, some of you are really, you're brilliant. You're really smart. But do you take credit for how God made you? And if you're doing that, then you're probably also looking down at people who are not as clever as you are. And Paul's asking, don't you know what you have isn't a credit to you. It's a credit to the one who made you. It's a credit to the one that gave it to you. It would be like boasting that you're really good at finances if you didn't work a day in your life, never earned a penny, and then some distant relative gives you an inheritance you didn't earn, you don't deserve, and it just lands in your lap, and you're like, I'm the best with managing money, right? I should teach financial peace, right? Or, or I, had, I had a friend who loved to play cards. He was horrible at the card game. He was horrible. He didn't even really understand all the rules. And then one time he got all the right cards that was like a, a hand that you couldn't lose. And he lays it down. He'd been losing all night long. And he lays this down. And he's like, I'm the best. I'm the best. And he was sincere. I was like, got so mad. I'm still processing it right now, apparently. <laughs> What's, what's happening? He's boasting about something he received. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. And see, we don't realize how many ways we, we all, all we have is something we've received. Your ability to think, your ability to walk, your ability to work, the food you had today, all these things are grace given to you. So why do you boast about it as though you earned it? Even if you worked really hard, And I know some of you have. You're like, I'm a self-made woman. I'm a self-made man. I know that. But where did the breath you've drawn each day come from? We're partakers of grace. So you really are a servant. It's not your ship. And you've brought nothing to the table except what's been given to you. But what happens when we're trying to puff ourselves up, like we all do, and someone starts to see how unimpressive we really are? What do we do? What do we do? And this is, this is what we do. We try to protect ourselves by pointing out the wrong in someone else, right? So, so that no one will notice what's actually going on with us. Maybe you're here today and you've been listening to me and you're like, yeah, all those arrogant people at church, I'm glad they're hearing this sermon. That might be, that might be a way of trying to protect yourself because this is talking to all of us. In order to fill the empty hole inside of us, we pretend like we're not bankrupt. It reminds me of what's written to a church in the book of Revelation in chapter three. It says this, to the church, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And this brings me to what I believe is one of the most terrifying verses in the entire Bible. Are you ready? You might not realize it, but we already read it today in the, in the passage. One of the most terrifying verses in the Bible is right here. See, Paul's talking about all the accolades that the church wants to dish out, the thumbs up from them, all the gold stars that they want to give him. And he's like, I'm not going to play that game. And then he makes this statement, the Lord judges me, yeah, wow. right? It's not you that's going to judge me. It's the Lord who's going to judge me. And that might sound better, right? At first you might be like, yeah, I don't care about your opinion. The Lord's going to judge me. But think about it a minute longer. Think about it just a minute more. And it becomes terrifying. Look at verse 4. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness 
and will disclose the purposes of the heart. What's Paul saying? He's saying that all the things that are now hidden are going to be made clear. Mm -hmm. He's saying, he's not just talking about your actions either. He's talking about God disclosing all of the purposes of the heart, the secret things in your heart that no one else can see. Those are the things that it says in this verse, God's going to disclose, right? And, And Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, this amazing teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he said, it, it's not just following the commandments. Like the commandment says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, it's not just if you commit adultery, not just behavior. It's the secret intentions of your heart. He says, if you even have lust in your heart, you're guilty of breaking that commandment. Or, or uh, don't murder. And Jesus says, it's not just that. He, Jesus turns it up. He says, it's if you even have hate toward your brother, you're guilty of breaking that commandment. It's, it's not just your behavior and your actions. It's the, the motives and intents and purposes of your heart that are going to be judged. And so what will happen if every secret purpose of our hearts made known to everyone? What's going to happen? Do you know, um, what would happen if everything that has been in your heart was brought to light? All the ways you've been clamoring for Merit badges and trinkets. All the ways you've judged other people to make yourself look better. All the ways you've pushed someone down to puff yourself up. What will happen when everyone sees the motives of your heart? Do you know if you came to church with someone and and we just disclosed the thoughts and intents of your heart from the time you got up this morning till now and that person could see all of that, you would be shamed without end if they saw just what was happening in our hearts. And that's just from one day. What will happen when everyone sees it? What would it be like for everyone to see what's been going on in your heart throughout your whole life? How you neglected your family in order to get a promotion at work. How you gossiped about someone to make them look worse than you. How you cheated on something. Where, where you lay awake at night thinking, what did they think of me? What did they think of me? All of these things in our heart. And God's going to reveal it all. Everything hidden will be disclosed, this passage says. So if you're working right now for a little trinket badge, if you're pretending that you're better so you can win the approval of others, if you're covering yourself with some kind of fig leaf, you should be afraid. We should be afraid. It will be exposed. You'll be seen for what you really are. And we spend our whole lives striving for a thumbs up and struggling with every thumbs down. And this passage is saying there's going to be a day where all that's gone. And we'll see that all of the little trinket badges was so silly. And we'll realize there was only one person's opinion that really mattered. There was only one. And Paul's saying, the Lord is coming. He'll bring it to light. And this is either really good news or really bad news. C.S. Lewis says it this way. In the end, that face, Jesus' face, which is the delight or the terror of the universe must be turned on each one of us with one expression or the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that could never be cured or disguised. How can we be free from a thumbs up, thumbs down, insecurity or arrogance? How can we be free from trying to win the approval of others? It's not by finding the approval of many. It's by finding the approval of one. So how can we have humble confidence? Look at verse 5. It's right there. Then each one on that day will receive his or her commendation from God. 
commendation, to receive praise, appreciation, affirmation, approval from God, that each one will receive their approval from God himself. Receive the, friends, receive the commendation that won't be lost. It will never wear out. It will never fall off. It's possible on the day when everything's brought to delight that instead of receiving shame that can never be cured, you're gonna receive affirmation and approval that will never end. It's possible on that day. Reward, affirmation, honor, approval from Jesus. Paul's inviting us to realize the puniness of our gold stickers we're working for in our life. He's in essence, he's saying, he's saying your desire for a reward is too small. Live for a better reward. Live for one that will endure. Well, what will that look like? There's a story written some years ago by uh, author Max Lucado, and, and it's a story about wooden dolls that are made by a, a wood carver. It's the story of Punchinello. Maybe, maybe you've heard of it. Uh, the story goes like this. There's a wood carver. His name's Eli. And he likes to make these wooden dolls. And the wooden dolls actually sort of come to life. You have to think Pinocchio. Are you with me? Like uh, the sort of like the Disney Pinocchio. Wooden dolls that can walk and talk and think. And all of these little wooden dolls that, that Eli has made, they start this little thing where they have stickers, some good stickers. And they give them, oh, someone did something good. They give them a good sticker. And then they have bad stickers. And if someone does something bad, they give them a bad sticker. And so all, they're just walking around all day putting a good sticker or a bad sticker on each other. Uh, and then there's this little character, his name's Punchinello. And Punchinello keeps messing up. He like trips, they give him a bad sticker. He says something silly, they give him a bad sticker. Bad sticker, bad sticker, bad sticker. He might do one good thing, get one good sticker, and then he'll get 20 bad stickers right after that. And it's crushing him. He's dejected, alone. And then he sees this character. This character comes up. And she's radiant. She's beautiful. And she has no stickers on her at all. No goods and no bads. None. And Eli goes up to him. He's like, You're, some, people, some people saw her and they're like, she's so beautiful. Let's give her a good sticker. They put a good sticker on it, on her, and it would fall to the ground. It wouldn't even stay. And Punchinello says, tell me, what, what is your secret? How is it that you have no stickers on you? And she said, oh, it's easy. Every day, I walk up the hill to the woodcarver, Eli, and he tells me what he thinks of me. So Punchinello starts to get up enough courage, and one day he goes up to the woodcarver's house, sort of nervous, and he walks in the door. And sure enough, there's Eli, the woodcarver. And Eli says, oh, Punchinello. I'm so glad you came. And Punchinello says, you know my name? Eli says, yes, of course, I made you. And Eli begins to tell him all the things that he loves about him. He tells him who he is and how he loves him. And there's this amazing conversation between Punchinello and Eli. And the last scene of the story, Punchinello's like sort of marveling from the conversation and it's time for him to go. He turns and starts walking out of the door. And as he does, one of his stickers just falls to the ground. And this is, this is what I want for each one of us. It's what I've been praying for for you and for me. See, we're, we're clawing our way to trying to be somebody through our accomplishments, our, our possessions, others' opinions of us, and we end up living our lives trying to get our identity from all these glittering things. 
And instead, oh friends, hear from the one who made you. Hear from him. Listen to his voice. What would it look like in your life if you stopped all chasing all the likes from the world and started receiving the love from the Father? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus heard the voice of the Father? This beautiful scene, it tells us as he's beginning his public ministry, he's going to get baptized. And it says, the voice of God the Father audibly speaks about Jesus. Do you know what it says? God speaks from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You see, Jesus got his commendation from the Father. And this is the refraction. This is, this is what happens with that refraction. The Father in heaven in humility affirms the Son and gives his commendation to him. And then the Son in his humility receives that and passes it on. Do you know what he passes it on to? To you and me. Now, if we're in Christ and we allow the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to affirm us, then, then all of the affirmation of God falls on us. And the, the belovedness that Jesus had won now becomes our belovedness. God, now what God said of Jesus, Jesus says of you, if you're in Christ, he says, this is my beloved son, my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This is the refraction. And that even turns us into a kind of people where light goes in and beauty goes out, where, where we don't have to get the approval from others. We don't have to be glory suckers. Now we can be glory givers who want to offer affirmation and kindness and approval to others, to, to honor people for the things that are really worth affirming in them. That's true humility. So then how do we get this commendation? Well, the very practical way, this is why we want you to read your Bible. <laughs> This is like going to the maker's house. This is not a bunch of rules for you to do so you can add to what you have to do in order to get a merit badge. This is his love letter to you, telling you all the ways that he affirms you and how he loves you and what he really thinks of you. We need to hear his voice again and again. This is why keep coming to church. Don't, don't just stop going. Don't just go once a month. Come, keep coming. Why? Because you need to hear his voice again and again and again. Join a missional community group because then you'll find other people who'll be with you, helping to remind you of the voice of your father and the approval that he's given you in Christ. Those are the practical ways. But you might be asking this really hard question. Scott, how could I receive a commendation from God? How could I receive approval? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know how bad I really am? If you knew my track record, you would know I don't need to be commended. I deserve to be condemned. I deserve it. How could it be that he would love me who's caused him such pain? How could God bring all of my wrongness to light and then still give me his commendation? friends, this is the beauty of the gospel. How could a sinner like you or me, someone so bad, how could we receive the commendation from the Lord? He already gave it. It was 2,000 years ago. It was on a cross. He said, I love you this much that I'm willing to give my life for you. I'm willing to trade everything for you. You're so incredible because I made you. Look to the cross. He already gave it. 
He's giving you on the cross an affirmation you cannot lose. Do you know on the cross, you'll find the one that you've been hiding from sees you. You think you've been hiding from him. He sees it all. He knows every wrong thing you've ever done. It's laid bare in front of him already and in, in full knowledge of everything that's against you. He chose to die in your place. Look, look to the cross. Every unthinkable thing you've ever done that's wrong. He knows it all and he took it all and he put it on himself as he died. Look at the cross. Paul says he's not concerned with being judged by any human court. Do you know there was one person that could judge Paul and could judge you and me? And that one person was Jesus. And instead of that, he allowed himself to be judged by a human court. A mock trial where they pretend there's like real justice happening, but they condemn an innocent man to death. And he allowed himself to be judged so that you won't have to be. They sentenced him to death. The one who could inflict shame on you instead took your shame. He bore it. He was shamed. He was dying naked, wrongly accused, spit on, mocked. So on the day when everything is brought to light, when God looks at you, all your sin is gone. Why? Because it was put on Jesus Christ and he took it. All the shame you deserve has been born already. And that means all the honor that Jesus earned by his track record, all the good that the Son of God deserves is now placed upon you. I, I, it's too amazing. It's too amazing to even think of it. Do you know how much approval Jesus deserves? How much honor, how much affirmation he deserves? This is telling you if you're in Christ, if you would receive his grace, if you would look to the cross, then all the approval that Jesus has won is given to you. Today, you can receive your commendation from Jesus if you'll look to the cross. Thank him for his love. He'll, see the, he'll say the same thing of you today that he said of Jesus. This is my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased. And he can turn you into radiant, beautiful people of grace. He can, where, where all the stickers fall off. And in freedom, in true, enduring humility, we become glory givers. We give glory to others, affirming what is really worth celebrating in them. And glory givers, giving glory to the God who saved us, saying there's no one like Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. It's unimaginable that you would love us that much, that you would see the real me and you would still love me. And we need, we come to you saying, we need to hear your voice today. We need it. Help us to believe the unbelievable thing that, that you would actually call us your beloved child, that you love us that much. We, we look to the cross. And so we just dare to, to, to hope that it's true that your love is greater than our sin and that all our shame is gone and that we're really your children make us into a people would you, would you allow your humility to make us into people who can truly give affirmation to others because we're so full having received all the approval from you. Through, not through our work, 
through your work, Jesus, through your merits, through your deeds, through your cross, and through your love. We receive it now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's praise Jesus Christ for what he's done. Amen. Amen.